listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. That's an interesting thing. Jesus says, God says to the guy, this very night your life will be demanded of you. That could be true for any of us. Would you agree with that? I mean, you, you don't know when it's going to happen. It could be true for any of us listening to this talk. You're watching online, other campuses, whatever. Well, welcome everyone to the memorial service of... Well, before we start that, let's just do a little imagining. Let's think it's a memorial service for someone that you have loved all your life. You've cared deeply for them. You've worked to provide them with what they need. You've tried to bring them comfort. Of course, I'm referring to you. This is, just for imaginary sake, your memorial service. So we're at the time now in your memorial service where, you know, the, we've done all the other stuff and we get up to it and someone is about to come and eulogize you. You understand what I mean by that? The eulogy is when they talk about you, your life, what it meant, how it impacted the world, whatever. And uh, then maybe after that, uh, they'll say, we want to just open it up. This is, this is vogue uh, these days, or it was pre-COVID, uh, to say, let's have a time where somebody can just stand up and share, you know, the difference that they made in your life, some positive story, something about them that you loved. So we're going to have that for your memorial service. Now, I'm just going to ask this question. Do you think anybody will stand up? Seriously, for your memorial service, do you think anybody will stand up and yeah, yeah, I'd like to say something about her. Or maybe even another question would be, if they do stand up, what will they say? I mean, what's repeatable about you? What, what from your life would make somebody want to get up and say, I want to talk about them for a second? Maybe even a bigger question would be to say, what would you like them to say? How would you like them to speak at your service? Now, I, I know some of you will be going, oh, well, I don't, I won't care because I'll be deceased, right? And I'm just, you, you aren't yet, all right? This is an imaginary thing. You're still looking and thinking about yours, so, so don't be that way. Just think, what would you like to be said? Don't be like my wife, all right? I, I talked to my wife one time, and I said, I was talking about when I die and the memorial funeral for me, and I said, when I die and you have a funeral service, don't spend a bunch of money. It's a waste of money to buy. She looked at me, and she said, don't tell me what to do. You'll be dead. Now, that's true, all right? But it was very rude, nonetheless, for her to say that. But you're not dead yet. So what do you think? What do you think? What do you think they will say about you when they stand up, if they stand up? <clears throat> well, it got me thinking to such a point that I thought I'd turn this thing on its head instead of it being your memorial service. I started thinking about what if it was mine? What would, what would someone say about me? What would they, how would they do it? And what would it be like? Because you know, uh, how many of you would agree with me that sometimes at memorial services, someone will share, like they'll say something about a person and you'll be like, that ain't true. Anybody ever been to one like that? Like they're talking about, they want to be positive, they want it to be good, but you're like, no, I knew them, no. I mean, I remember, some of you heard me say this, I, Ann and I went to a funeral one time of a kind of a distant relative, and, and when we left, I just said to Ann, I said, I didn't know we were burying Jesus today, because that person apparently is without sin. Everything they said, it was like they were the most perfect person in the world. So, 
So, so this is what I want to do. We're going to be now at the point in the m- memorial service for me that uh, the person comes up to give the eulogy, but we're going to put a twist on it. I'm going to be part of it, all right? And we're going to make it a little bit like a game show in that if they say something that's too flowery and not true, I will buzz it, all right? Because I think it's appropriate. I think sometimes people will say things and it's like they want it to be true, but it's not really true. So, so I was thinking, who would I have to give my eulogy? And I thought to myself, what about Brian Moat, who is uh, the guy who leads worship here and uh, who's also the director of creative arts over all, all the church, all the campuses. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the reason actually I decided to choose Brian was that Brian and I have known each other now for 18 years and we have been together for thousands and thousands of hours. So I think he knows me, you know, and, and, uh, and I think, you know, he won't be too bad about it. So let's, let's uh, go ahead with the memorial service. Let's cue the funeral music then if we could. I'm not getting emotional, it's just gas, don't worry. I ate a burrito backstage. Anyways, look, what can I say about George Jeff? Uh, you know, he, uh, he taught me a, a lot of things. And, uh, you know, if you've been at TVC a while, you've, you've seen him preach, and uh, he does a signature move where he stares into your soul, where he just opens up his arms like this and stares intensely. You know you're in trouble. But uh, look, I'm not here to rake Jeff over the coals because, well, looks like somebody already has. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, Jeff, he was, he was a frugal man, just really cheap, you know, in a lot of ways. And uh, I know this because uh, when I was walking up here, I saw the tag still on the urn, so we're going to return that later. Um, <clears throat> yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. All right, let me get serious because I want to say what I really think. Jeff was one of the most wonderful men that I've ever known. And you know what? He was, he was always kind. Always godly. He loved to laugh. Yes. And he cared about people. I never saw him complain. He was the ideal father, and, and I don't know if you knew it, but he was an incredible husband. Oh, man. Oh, she's not done yet. Coming back. Ouch. Ouch. You know, my, my buddy Jeff, he loved, loved cats. He, you know, he wasn't perfect, but he tried. Therefore, I think, in my opinion, he should be, nom- should be nominated for sainthood. Somewhere up there with Mother Teresa. Well, I'll just finish by saying that I guess what I can say about Jeff is he was a guy. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Well, clearly, that did not go uh, quite the way that I hoped it might. I would love it if people would say wonderful things about me, and I would not have to buzz it as being dishonest. But let's just be real here, all right? 
I'm no different than any of the rest of us. The flower things that people say are just not entirely true. Now, we want them to be true. I want to be that guy who was the perfect husband and the best father and all, you know, always kind and never complained. But it's not easy to do. It's, it's like, I, I want it, I try, I'm really trying to go in that direction, but I'm tired and I've got so much going. And it's like, we mean to, and I don't think you're any different than me. We mean to, we want to be the person we think we should be, we feel called to be, we think is right, but we're just busy and active and we got all these things going. And so we, I mean, in the end, we just don't do this stuff. We, we, we don't. But I think it's not just that we're busy. I and this is going to feel a little uncomfortable to some of you, and you, you can feel free to disagree with me, but I think not only do we not become who we could be because we're busy and we're tired and, we, and, and preoccupied and all that stuff, I actually think that it's because in many t- cases we've allowed ourselves to become consumers instead of adventurers. That we become... Uh, like the ultimate consumer, it's just about more stuff for me, it's about how I feel, it's about everything. We become consumers instead of adventurers. Now, I know some of you right now, you're just going, hey, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, my life is pretty adventurous. We do these really cool vacations that are adventurous, and, and I've done cliff climbing, and, and I built a business, and it was exhausting and adventurous, and there was a lot of risk involved, and I was very successful. And all those things, I would not argue, are adventure. But I think if we're honest... I mean, if we could just get right down gut level honest, that it wouldn't be wrong to describe them as consumeristic adventures. In other words, the adventure is about me and how I feel and what brings me a sense of happiness and joy. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have adventures where you do cool things on vacation or building a business is bad. I don't think any of those things are wrong. I just I just wonder, and I guess I'm asking you this question, is that really what our lives are meant to focus on? What brings me pleasure? Is that really what our lives are meant to to be about? And, And of course, that's the big question, right? Everybody's always asking it. I remember, you know, my brother left home, my older brother, you know, fairly early, and he said, I'm going out to find myself. He just never came back. It's hard to find yourself. You know, it's like, you, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And a lot of people, they get so overwhelmed by that question. It's like, I can't even get through today. Can I just get through this stinking, horrible mess that I'm in? And don't overwhelm me with these big questions about what are you called to? What is your life supposed to be like? You know, it's hard. When I was a kid, before I was saddled with the responsibility of being an adult and paying bills and thinking about taking care of kids and all that, when I was a kid, I used to dream all the time of what I was going to be. I was going to be this. I was going. I was going to be a million things. But you know, what was at the center of all of them was me and how good I was going to look. It was just, I mean, it's just, and I think if you're honest, you would say this, probably you too. You're thinking about, I want to be this, oh yeah. And you can see yourself in the spotlight, feeling good, life is good, you're, you're just a great person. And it's interesting because, you know, I, I dreamed all these things, but I just had such a hard time figuring out, what do I want to do with my life? I'd, I'd worked a ton of jobs by my late teens. None of them did I ever get fired at. I just wasn't happy doing them, and I tried different things, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to be a, a social worker, because that could have an impact. I had this feeling I should, my life should be more than just a spotlight on me, but I met a few social workers that were burned out, and I thought, I don't want that, and so that wasn't it. Thought, maybe sales, I tried sales, not sales, I tried all kinds of stuff. It's like, I, I knew I wanted to do something with my life, 
And there was this little nagging thing on the inside of me that said, it should be more than just about you and how you feel about yourself and how you look. But there was this thing in me that whatever it was, however it looked, even if I was helping people, I had to be a raging success. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If, I, if I, my life's gonna be, I've got to be a huge success. That was central to all of it. And in truth, I think you all know what I'm talking about. I, I was thinking about this. What did success look like in my mind? It always looked like bigger and better. You say, bigger and better than what? Bigger and better than whatever I had, whatever my neighbor has, whatever. I, I have to be a success, an amazing success. And there's this push on us in the words of the rich man that we heard read about, bigger barns, surplus grain. And when we get there then, oh, that's an amazing thing. That's success. You know, I actually, um, I feel sorry sometimes for kids these days, although I don't think it's that much different, but so many of them, their idea of what, become, what they want to become is, their, their idea of being a hero is, is this small, minuscule percentage of people that make it to the top of the heap in American culture. Like, they're either a famous singer or they're a famous actor or they're a top athlete, they're famous or well-known, and that's, you hear kids talk about, oh, I want to be, uh, and this is what they want, they want to be all this up here, and I think, sadly, parents buy into this, too, and they'll say to their kids when they're tucking them in, just remember, there is nothing you can't do, there's nothing you can't do if you choose to do it, which is total, I thought of a word I can't say, it's, it's not true, all right, it's hogwash, it's just, it is not reality, only a few people ever get up here. The vast majority of the world doesn't. So here's what happens is I dream I'm supposed to be up here. I got to do this. And then when I realize I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to play college ball, let alone pro ball. I'm just, I'm just an average high school player in some sport or whatever it is. Or I'm not, I don't have a good enough voice or I don't have whatever it takes to do. When they start to realize that, it's like, ah. Oh. I guess maybe there's not a calling for me. I guess maybe there's not something that would, would be significant for my life. And then the insidious thing starts to happen. And this, I think, is always unconscious. But this is what it goes like, something like this. Well, if I'm not going to be this, then maybe what I need to do is just try to make the money I can so I can do whatever, so I can be happy. And happy, happy becomes the central theme to everything I do. I just want to be happy. I just want to go in the direction. Just, just, I just need to be, if I feel happy, then that's the win. It's like the rich man said. Then I can eat, drink, and be merry. I just want to be happy, take life easy. Not about a calling. It's not about making a difference now. It just becomes about feeling happy. But I think even then, this is what I think, and you can disagree with me, but I think in all of us, there is still this ongoing thing in us that goes, but I think there's something more. Maybe I will work in a factory all my life, or maybe I will just be a carpenter, or I will just be a, a nurse, or whatever I do for a living. Maybe that's what I'll do, and I'll never be this raging success of these people at the top of the heap. But there's still something I think that my life should make a difference. I think that's in us. But when we experience that wrestling match on the inside, like there's got to be something more for me than just, than just doing this stuff that I'm doing, just life as usual. I think there's usually one of two ways that we go with it. One of two paths. One is we recognize that actually that prompting, that poking on the inside is of divine origin. 
that God actually is poking on us. And that he's calling us to something higher than just satisfying our desires and making ourselves feel good. That there is a a higher calling on our lives. And we recognize, of course, if I follow that path, I won't be perfect and I won't have it all figured out and I'll probably still make a lot of mistakes. But we go after it. Now that's one path you take when you feel that wrestling match. The other one, and the cynical side of me says this is the one more common to people. It just says... I'm not going to be that, so I'm just going to do what I can to make myself happy. More food, more movies, more things that bring me pleasure, more stuff. It's about me feeling good. I have to tell you that I was asked over the years to speak many times to uh, seniors, graduating seniors, that were chosen like as the top ten in a group. And it was funny because they'd have them get up and talk about what they dreamed of. And one after the other, so many times, they would talk about, well, I'm going to go to college and do this, and I hope to do this. But really, what I want to be, can anybody guess? I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And we, so we fall into this thing. I just, I just want to be happy. It's like one retiree told me, I, this is many years ago, this guy's passed away, but I remember right after he retired, I said to him, I said, hey, you got more time now than you've had in a long time. What do you think about serving in the church in some way? He'd been going to our church for quite a while. I'll never forget this. He looked at me and said, no, no, Jeff, no. He said, I paid my dues when I was younger. This time is about me. And I remember when I heard it, I thought, wow. (laughs) That is self-focused right there. But as I've thought about it over the years, I've come to the conclusion that that person was just more honest than most of us are. I think we get kind of caught in this trap and we see ourselves as about really just trying to get by and make ourselves, and this is going to sound just a little dramatic and everything, but I think regardless of where you're at in spirituality, whether you are a believer in God or not, I think there's a question all of us should wrestle with on a regular basis, and this is it. Am I trading significance for pleasure? In fact, I would challenge you to take a picture of that or write it down and just carry it around a little bit and think about this one. Am I today? or over the last six months, or in this season of my life, or through my life, am I trading significance, making a difference, doing something with my life that is higher than just the next movie, the next thing to eat, the next vacation, the next job that feels better, more money? Am I trading my significance for pleasure? And I think it's a good question. And I know a lot of people feel a little uncomfortable with this kind of thing, but I... I think it's worth asking. And before you respond, I know some of you are like, I, I just know this. Some of you are like, no, I, think I'm, I, I don't think I'm doing that at all. Just, just don't respond too quickly. Because I will tell you that even the smartest and best of us find ourselves doing this on a semi-regular basis. We trade significance for pleasure. Even the smartest people. Let me give you an example. You will have heard of his name, whether you have church background or not, Solomon, known when he lived as the wisest man alive. You know this. He said things that were so wise, we're repeating them to this day, thousands of years later. He was very wise. He was incredibly wealthy. He was a king. And yet, if you know his story, you know that not was he just wise and rich and accomplished many things, but in the later years of his life, he got trapped into this very thing Trading significance for pleasure. Now the thing that brought him pleasure was something that 
can become a trap for many men, and it was women. The only thing is, see, he was the king, and he was loaded. And so he ended up, get this, with 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had 1,000 women waiting for him to call. That is more than any, well, in my opinion, that's more than 1,000 men probably need right there. It's a lot. And he got so sucked into this that the Bible tells us, and this is fascinating, the wisest man who was living at the time, it says as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and then his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. And what he did, the wisest man living, was he traded his significance for pleasure. You think you're above it, maybe, maybe you aren't. This, this happens, and I know some of you are like, well, just Jeff, I'm, I'm working hard, I'm trying to be a decent person, I, you know, I'm trying to teach the kids and do everything, and, and I get that. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying it doesn't necessarily mean that you're following the higher calling that God has for your life. I think we actually need to help, God's help, to do that. Look at this scripture, and this is from Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. By the way, this is in a message paraphrase. Paul writes, we pray, he was praying for the people at Colossae, that you'll live well for the master. Now look at this next statement. Making him proud of you as you work hard in what? His orchard. Not yours, his orchard. Now he says, as you learn more and more how God works, he says, you'll learn how to do your work. Do you get this here? That you actually have a work to do. Your work is not just make sure the addition gets finished. Your work is not just to make sure that you get to that next vacation. You have a work to do that is in whose orchard? God's. You, you have a work to do. This is, this is incredibly important. And, and I, think, I think we need to see the implication on this, that there is something in our lives that we need, and we need to be just asking, am I trading my significance for pleasure? Now, some of you may read this as, are you saying that I can't ever have food or look forward to going out to eat or, or watch Netflix? Or, I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying, I, I'm not sure we, we ask ourselves this question enough. Now, I know, if you're listening to this, maybe you're watching online, you say, I'm, I'm not even, I don't think I believe in God. You know, I just did this because I heard about your church or whatever. I, I, in my opinion, this would be totally senseless to someone who does not believe in God. Because if you don't believe in God, think about it. If there is no God, if there is no afterlife, do you know who had it right? The rich man Jesus talked about. Get the money, get the stuff, and eat, drink, and be married because tomorrow you, what? You die, and that's it, baby. It's done. There is no need. And that means, what that is, is that means there's no need for a moral code. There's no need to be concerned about significance. And there's no, it's survival of the fittest. Oh, my gosh. This does not make sense. But if you believe there is a God, then this doesn't just make sense. This becomes absolutely critical to how we live our lives. If you don't believe in a God, I understand that you would not even consider this. But if you believe there is a God, if you believe that, how you live your life is actually unbelievably important. Now what I want to do is I want to give you just a few points. I'm going to do this real quickly. 
And some of these will sound redundant. We're, we're going to talk about this for a number of weeks. We're going to take uh, a, a next week off from this series. We've got a guest speaker coming in, and then after that we'll come back to it. We'll talk about this. But, but what I, all I hope to do this week, this is so fun having my job, I hope to just poke you. To, well, let me say it this way. I hope to just annoy you a little bit. And I know some of you are like, mission accomplished. You're already there. It's okay. I'm, I'm not quite done yet, though. All right? I just want you to, th- I think we should be asking this question. Am I trading my life, the significance that I can have, because I'm just more interested increasingly in what, I, what makes me feel good and not who God calls me to be? As I said, it'll sound a little redundant. Here's my first point, and that is, is that you have callings. I'll talk about this idea of the plurality of calling in just a second, but you, you, you have callings in your life. God has called you. Well, let me just ask it this way. Do you think you could tell me what the callings in your life are for this season, for this period in your life, for, for the coming week or two weeks? Do you think you could tell me what you believe are the callings or calling that God is? Do, do you think you know that? Because you actually do have callings. You, you, you really do. And the truth is, is that I think sometimes we don't even think about that, but we do. We have callings from God. Look at this scripture. Many of you are familiar with it. A lot of church people quote this, Jeremiah 29, 11. God speaking. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and, and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And, and we love this because of this bottom part. Oh, he's got plans for us to prosper us and, and, and to give us a hope. And a future. It's so awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think we miss the bigger point of this. And that is God says, I know the plans I have for you. Very specifically for you. See, God doesn't have plans just for us in general, like, I'll just, you know, I'll just, God has plans for you as an individual to make a difference with your life, to accomplish in his orchard his work for your life, which becomes your work. God has a plan for you. And as I said, uh, it's not just calling, in my opinion. It's actually callings. I believe that we have callings during seasons of our lives. Actually, I was thinking about this just recently, how I have a sense that God is calling me in a specific area to something in the coming days. It may be months. It may be a year. I don't know how long it'll be, but it's a very specific thing God's speaking to me about. And it's like, that's what his calling is, at least in part, for this season of my life. So it may be that you have callings for lifelong stuff. You have callings for, for specific seasons. You have callings. I think you even have callings for a day. When you understand that your work is in his orchard, not just in making yourself feel better, you can have a calling for a day. I mean, you think about the story Jesus tells of uh, uh, the Good Samaritan. You know that story. The guy's probably a businessman. He's on his donkey. He's going to a business appointment somewhere. And he comes across a guy who's been robbed and beaten, stripped naked, and left bloody for dead. Now, he's got an appointment that he's got to keep a meeting. But in that moment, he realizes that God's calling for that day is that he get off his donkey and he go over and bind up the wounds of that man and put him and do what he can to help him then put him on his donkey and lead him to the motel down the road and say to the owner, you watch out for this guy and I will pay for whatever it costs. I don't know what he did after that. Did he go on to his business meeting or did he go, I don't know what he was doing exactly, but what I do know is that he understood that in that moment, my calling from what I thought it was going to be has changed because this is presented. You can't fix every broken person that you cross, but if you are listening, you will find that you have callings at certain times where this one, you stop. 
this one. You stop and you serve that person. Now, I know some people get so worked up and stressed about this because they're like, I just wish I knew what my calling was. I wish I knew what God, if he would just show me, I wish I knew what God wanted me to do. I hear people say that on a regular basis when I talk about this. Let me, let me give you something that I think will be freeing to you, all right? Just do what you're doing right now to the very best of your ability as for the Lord. This is really key. Just do what you're doing right now. You say, but I don't even like my job. Yep. Just do what you're doing right now as for working for the Lord, and then he will show you what the next thing is. Look at this scripture. It's so powerful. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your what? Some of you are going, yeah, but if you knew where I worked, nobody gives their heart there. Yeah, but that's your calling. You work at it with all your heart. But now notice what it says. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. And those masters can include other people, your boss, or it can be you. You are to do whatever you're doing right now with all your heart as, for, as if you're working for God. If you get this, if we can get this, what I'm supposed to do right now, I'm supposed to do with greatest, and then God will show me the next step. See, people get so, it's like we get so worked up about, just show me what you want me to do. I, I wrote it like this. Where you are right now is where you are to be. Be your best there until God clarifies the next step. We get so worked up about, I got to get, you know, I, I just got to get to college, or I just got to get to this, or I just, and then something happens and it screws up my life, and if I can't get there, just do what you're doing right now to the best of your ability. That is part of your calling. You work hard at what you're working at, and you do it not for yourself or for your boss, but you do it as serving the Lord, and then he'll show you the next step, and the next step, and the next step after that. You know, many people get confused about this. They actually think that when someone starts talking about a higher calling, what they're referring to is their vocation, what you do for a living. Let me clarify something here. Your job may be part of your higher calling, but it is not your higher calling. God has people who work in every field, doing every job, from swinging hammers to medical field to, to bookkeeping to you name it, teachers. He has people in all those fields, and their job is not their calling. Their life is their calling. So you can have a person get picked up who's doing this job, and maybe they don't like it, maybe it doesn't matter, and set them down in another place when they live according to God's plan, which is wherever you are, you work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, they are living out their higher calling. So many of us are thinking, if I can just get that job, and I'm guilty of this, if I can just get to this place, you do whatever you are in front of right now to the best of your ability for God, working in his orchard. It changes everything. So I wrote it this way again, just another thing I wrote down, but you don't live your calling when you live your calling now. Don't stretch stuff out in the future. Worry about the future. Jesus said there's enough to worry about in the future. You don't need just just deal with today. Do what you're doing like a rock star. But do it for God. 
And that changes the equation in your life because there, once you start doing it for God, there you begin to bring significance to your workplace. There you begin to bring significance to your family. There you begin to bring a change in the world because you're not just trying to be good, you're trying to be good as you serve God. It's a huge thing. So first, first you have callings, and then secondly, you have gifts. And I'm just going to say this in a couple sentences. I'll, I'll talk about this more in weeks to come. But you have gifts. I know some of you are like right now going, uh, uh, no, <laughs> I have no gifts. Yes, you do. And the people around you can see them. But what I want you to know about your gifts is, uh, we'll talk about that. Your gifts are not so you look like a cool person to other people. Your gifts are to use in God's orchard for his work. And they go with your callings. Let's just put it this way. Your gifts are meant to enhance your calling. Enough said about that. Now, I'm going to end it with one more thought, and this is going to be more somber, but I think it's important. And that is, is that in this area, this thing that we're talking about, beware of complacency. I, I don't even know if I can say this seriously enough for you to hear me. When it comes to what you do with your life, how you live your life, whether or not you live with significance and impact or whether you live as the ultimate consumer, just taking whatever you can get and doing your best to enjoy it and just limping through the day. Whatever you choose, that is very important to God. You say, well, I don't care what you think, Jeff, and, and I don't care what I think half the time either. It's not what I think. This, what I'm talking about, this is important to God. Jesus tells a story. Some of you know this story. He talks about a king who's going to go on a journey. So the king calls three of his servants in, or the people in his community, and he gives them each money according to the ability or the gifts that they have. And then he says, you take care of it. You use what I've given you, and we'll talk when I get back, and goes on his journey. Now, two of the guys went out, and they used their gifts, and they used their calling, and they multiplied it, and they had significance, and they had more than what they had been given when they came back. A third one, you know the story, he was just all about living for himself. He was just about, I just want to be happy, and this sounds like a pain in the rear end, so what I'm going to do with it, he took it out, he dug a hole, he stored it, in a hole in the ground until the king should return and then he could just bring him back and say, here it is, I took care of it. And so the king returns and he calls these guys in front of him and these two guys present what they've done and they brought back return on the, what they've been given from God and the king is elated with them and actually gives them more and blesses them. And then he comes to the third guy and the third guy goes, well, I just buried it in the ground. It's what you gave me. Here it is. Glad to have done that for you. And Jesus said the king was angry. My interpretation, he's like, seriously? Seriously? You took what I gave you? You took the gifts, you took the talent, you took all that stuff that I gave you, and you buried it in the ground so you could live happy? He was angry. And so what the Bible tells us, he told another story, he said, take the money from him, and you give it to these guys who have already shown that they're using what they have, that they're making a difference, there is significance. And then Jesus concludes the story, and I want you to see this because it's somber. Jesus says, for whoever has will be given more, and they'll have an abundance. 
Whoever does not have, it was the guy that didn't use what he had. Even what they have will be taken from them. And here's his conclusion. Now throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Woo! That's Jesus, the grace Jesus that loves everybody. That's what he said about not using what you have been given. So I would say it's not unreasonable for me to say, beware of complacency. Because you have been given so much. And God calls you to live a life of significance. And when you do, you will find pleasure all along the way. But you will short-circuit that if you sell your significance for pleasure today. I will tell you what has helped me with this is to have people around me who love me enough to call me out, to speak to me about where, where I'm at, what I'm doing. This is why we're so rabid about the idea of these kind of spiritual connections. We call them tribes. And my question is, who's in your tribe? And if you don't know, if you don't have that kind of relationship, we'd be glad to help you. We've got, if you text tribes to 77948, we'll get back with you. I'm not trying to push you on this. I'm just telling you, this makes all the difference in the world. Just text us and we won't try to convince you, but we have people we can help you connect with, however you want to do it. One of the things that is coming up is something called the Explore God group, and that's just a, it's a great opportunity really, especially for people who are newer to the faith, just to learn about God and grow in that, and uh, you'll, you'll see on the screen that there is a link to that. If you'd like to know more about that, you can go out to the next step area and ask out there, or online you can click on that link. We'd be glad to help you with that. Bottom line is, my life is not my own. In the end, I've been given something from God. And what I do with it determines whether I live with significance or whether I disappoint the master who loves me. And I choose. True? I choose. And you choose. Let's stand to our feet and we'll close with prayer. Lord, I know this stuff has been hard to hear. I just pray that you help us, help us provoke ourselves, challenge ourselves to live lives of significance. And now as we leave, God, encourage and strengthen and bless your people. May you be aware of the presence of God, the love of God, and the peace of God. And may you live lives of significance in Jesus' name. Let's say it together. Amen, amen. Have a great day. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tvcweb.com.